0: Welcome to the nateholdridge.com podcast, where we take a look at some articles that Pastor Nate Holdridge has written about, and we take some time to have some conversations about them. Today, we're getting into one of the articles that Pastor Nate has written towards parents entitled, Six Supercultural Biblical Parenting Principles. Let's get into it. Bible isn't a parenting manual. Some direct statements about parenting exist, but there's no book of First Parentonians. In other words, while the Bible has much to say to parents, much of it is indirect. The Bible chronicles God's redemptive plan for all mankind. It isn't cluttered with culturally temporary admonitions to parents. What the Bible is full of, however, are principles that apply to all cultures. Here, we'll dig into a few of these timeless, supercultural truths. No matter what stage of parenting you're currently in, these truths are for you. All right, Nate, so where's the book of First Parentonians? <laughs> where where can I find that? Is that in Maccabees or something like that? <laughs> you liked that one. I love that. That was so good. It just rolls off the tongue. I think it just sounds good, too. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for it. I know, man. I find it. It's somewhere out there, maybe. I don't know. Hey, man, this article was awesome. I love how you outlined six different biblical parenting principles and I love that you called them supra cultural. And before I even just try to even give like a half explanation of that, could you just no, take a I moment want you and give to us do it. <laughs> I would love it if you just like just took the lid off of it a little okay. bit.
1: So, there are things in the Bible that, you know, you have to especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament at times where you have to, before you can get an application out of it for yourself, you have to do the work of finding out what the culture that was receiving it for the first time would have heard, how they would have understood it, what they were, what uh, understood it, what they were up against. Um, <clears throat> and so some of those exhortations would vary, you know, from culture to culture. Mm, yeah. So, like the extreme uh, example that I used of that uh, comes from, uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church when he talks about the head coverings for the women right. in the church there. And you know the interpreter has to do just so much work when you're teaching that passage. Yes yeah, true. because Paul even, you know, in the way he writes about it, he even gives room for the cultural um, thing to be there by saying, you know that we have to judge in the Lord ourselves That's right. on this matter. Yeah. So, you know, the, you have to go back into, you know, history and, you know, is there any extra biblical writing about this head coverings thing? What was the situation in Corinth? You know, so you do all this work to discover maybe like some prostitution connected to right. a lack of a head covering in mm-hmm. that city. Uh, some kind of immorality or rejection of authority, even because of a lack of a head covering in that town. So Paul's yeah. <laughs> like encouraging it there. So then, like the application or the the principle is that we surrender and submit to the authority structure that God yeah. has designed. But it just takes a little while to you know get there. So that's an extreme example, but that happens you know in the old testament quite frequently because you're doing the work of saying like okay this was israel this is the law for israel this is how they understood it then how does it now to apply to us in the modern church era you know things like that but then there are so that's those are cultural things right so supracultural would be here's a truth that applies across cultures and that we then take into our culture and say How do I live this out now in the culture Mm. that I'm living in? So, like, you know, trust God. That's a supra cultural principle. As God's people, we're called to trust Him. And then the question, though, in all the different continents and all the different countries of the world is what does it look like for me right here to Mm. trust the Lord in this, you know, context, this situation? So <clears throat> that's what I mean. It's it's like a tr- it's it's uh, something from the Bible that it just explodes and breaks through all right. cultures, mm-hmm. and you know is just uh, there's no cultural interpretive work necessary to get to the bottom baseline of what's
0: being said. So cool. And in this article, you gave six of those, which you still alluded to the first one that you mentioned, which was um, trust, and. You can speak a little more to that if you like. I really loved how you kind of talked about fear in contrast to trust within parenting. Can you allude to that a little bit? What does that look like for a parent?
1: Yeah, so we've been talking for a few minutes now. We haven't even really talked about <laughs> parents. But yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest struggles for for us as parents is man, it's scary. Huh. It's really scary. And you know, you you fall into this fear of thinking that every single thing I do has embedded within it massive repercussions, right? Hmm. good or bad, you know? So like a cross word, you know, I'm grumpy or whatever. And we just (laughs) like think like, oh man, our kid's gonna be in therapy when they're (laughs) older because of the way I just, Hmm. you know, behaved. And, you know, obviously it's good for us to consider the outcome of our actions, you know, things like that. But when we get into this fear mode, you know, just like so afraid of what our kids, uh, you know, we want to protect them. We want to guard them, you know, from, you know, I mean, I don't want my kids to see pornography, you know, and things like Mm -hmm. that. So, you know, I'm, I'm there to protect them and defend Mm -hmm. them. That's something as a father that I'm supposed to be about and then i'm supposed to do i'm not supposed to do them a disservice by just saying well whatever you know if you see it you see it whatever you stumble upon that's fine but like an unhealthy fear of just this magnetic pull of the mm. culture and feeling like oh man our kids are definitely not going to walk with the lord and just that over that uh, that fear that paralyzes it really will negatively impact your parenting because mm. You know, everything will just become so isolationist or uh, paranoid. And so, you know, I think that's where on the other side of things, a healthy trust in the Lord needs Mm -hmm. to be there. You know, so we're called to trust God, you know, in all the different seasons of our lives, including uh, as parenting. So fear is massive, you know, as as has been said, you know, so many times. Uh, One of the most common refrains in scripture comes from God saying, fear not, or Mm -hmm. do not be afraid. And we just have a tendency towards that because, you know, God is more real, obviously, than anything that we can see. You know, he exists and has existed from eternity past. So before all the things that you and I can see, God is. Um, So he's more real than everything that's physical. Mm -hmm. But we live in this physical world, so it's really easy for us to forget that. And that's part of why we panic, you know, is (laughs) we just forget how real and true God is in the midst of all of this.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's really true. I think that really leads into your second point, which um, highlights grace and legalism to a degree, too. It sounds like a lot of things you are just talking about can actually lead or kind of bleed into both of these, but um, you had this, this next part with the question, labeled with the question, does my parenting style emphasize grace? What what does that look like a bit, kind of going back to what you were just talking about, but even going forward a little bit, parenting with grace? Yeah, so,
1: I mean, as a parent, you know, I mean, Paul talked to the Galatian church about the, the uh, law being like a tutor. You know, or a a Mm schoolmaster for children, you know, and that when we were children spiritually, we needed the law to kind of show us what's up. Right. And then when the gospel came in, we were our relationship with the law changed. Mm. According to Paul, you know, what the big thing that happened was we used to be married to the law. Then we died Mm. and now we're married to Jesus. But we still have a relationship with the law. It's beautiful to us now because it's like, oh, by the spirit of Jesus. There's a lot of this that now I could actually live, whereas before I was just seeing how guilty I was. But in the Galatians passage, you know, Paul, as he's talking about the law, you know, he's like, it's a schoolmaster. So sometimes, you know, as parents, it's, I think, easy for us to, to think that way. You know, like mm-hmm. I need to um, show these kids like a moralistic kind of life, you know, and I need to show them uh, the the hard truth about consequences uh, in their actions, you know, and things like that. But if we're not careful, and, and I do believe that I do believe we need to have consequences. Our yes needs mm-hmm. to meet Yes. Our no right. needs to me, uh No. One of my pet peeves is the like parenting phrase, like, Hey, Johnny, we don't do that. <laughs> you know, when Johnny's misbehaving, you know, yeah. I'm, like looking at the dad or the mom going like, you're not doing it it's Johnny doing it and he is doing it yeah <laughs> So I think that our yes you know needs to be yes and our no needs hmm. to be no but that said you know it we have to really watch out for a very harsh uh, legalistic kind of culture that we're building in our home you know we, we've talked about it in other podcasts but the relational aspect of a grace filled yeah. family. You know, pursuing your children and having discipline that flows from that kind of grace, you know, is is really important. And then, you know, frankly, a lot of it isn't just like a tone of grace or an attitude of grace. You know, in our family, it's a lot of times discussion about Mm -hmm. grace, because you know what our kids are discovering as the you know as every child grows, what they discover is. They have a will to do, but not the power to perform. It's wow, the Romans yeah. 7 thing. You know, they're they're discovering like, man, I want to be obedient. And I yeah. and I and I wish I didn't do this, you know, <laughs> in a yeah. lot of ways, maybe not all the time, but you know, in general, like I want to do that. I want to do a good job, but I'm feeling so weak. I don't know why. You know, when my sibling talked to me like that, it just drove me nuts, you know, and it they yeah. got under my skin and I got so angry. Of course, this is not how they would talk to you as a as a you know, parent. They're just saying in their own, you know, <laughs> childlike terms. Yeah. But in those moments, it's an opportunity to teach your kids about grace and to teach them about like the renewing power of the spirit and what Jesus can do and like forgiving you of those tendencies but also helping you see those tendencies, knowing that God loves you in the midst of those tendencies, and that as you walk with the Lord, He wants to, by His Spirit, help you to overcome those tendencies, which, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of kids are going to discover that, like, deeper, intimate kind of relationship with the Mm -hmm. Lord as they get older. And maybe when they're, you know, seven or eight or nine years old, they'll have a relationship with the lord but it might not be as, you know, personal and strong and intimate of course, as yeah. hopefully it will be when they're in their teenage years and then, you know, beyond into their adult life. You know, so trying to h- show them the the forgiveness, the the uh, mercy of god, mm-hmm. the grace of god and the the empowering grace of god to help us through our weaknesses and tendencies, I think is really
0: important. Yeah. That's wonderful. That first truth of trusting God that he is in control. He can guide children in that kind of way through parenting. And that second one about really emphasizing grace. And I I love what you said in here too, just in reference to grace and legalism that, you know, a lot of legalism can produce rebellion within our kids, but grace can really free uh, children to um, produce life in their lives.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, we have to obviously be careful with, you know, any statement like that because, you know, kids can rebel against grace too. Right, right. You know, so sometimes I've talked to parents who, you know, feel like, what did we do wrong? You know, our child rebelled or we were too legalistic yeah. or something like that. And it's like, oh, I watched your parenting. I'm pretty sure that you weren't a legalistic hmm. person. You know, I think that you were a great parent, you know, but... These kids have a decision to make, but definitely, you know, how can we deny that? That an over-legalistic, rigid, non-relational, where the, you know, forgiveness and acceptance is not lived out in the home, how can we deny that that would be a lot of times a turnoff? for a mm-hmm. kid that's growing up in that kind of environment, you know, because that's more like a Pharisaical kind of environment. True. And, you know, nobody likes the
0: Pharisees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Nate, I really love this next one. And I just got to tell you, um, whenever we talk about rest, so you're talking about cultivating rest mm-hmm. within your Does parenting. Does my parenting style cultivate rest? Right. Again? And I remember um, I was just talking with somebody the other day, parents who I really respect, not my own parents, but parents I really respect, and I was talking about the Sabbath and how my wife and I try to cultivate rest in our lives by trying to practice some kind of Sabbath within our week, having a day where we rest and reflect. And they were saying, they're like, oh, well, it's good you don't have kids right now, because once you have kids, dashes out the window. <laughs> just totally out the window. Just soak it up while you can. True. <laughs> <laughs> but what's so cool is that this is actually a main like one of the main points that you make within the six truths. Can you speak to that a little bit about what that looks like within a parenting style?
1: Yeah, it's one of the things that's so beautiful about the Lord inviting us into his Sabbath rest mm. in Christ, you know, because like your friends just shared with you Yeah, you know, when you're a a parent and your kids are, especially when their lives begin to develop and they start having activities, different things that they're doing, you know, it really doesn't feel super restful on a Saturday to go to like two soccer games and a softball game and you know a play practice or something like that. These aren't things that feel super restful. Yeah. Um. So it's it's good to know that really the rest is found within the heart, and you know, in my family, we still try to uh, defend and protect that literal day as much as we possibly can. Mm. Um, and for us, it it is at this point, at least at the time we're recording this, that Saturday kind of slot because, you know, with church on, uh, with the church on Sunday, it's a, it's a a. 6am to 9pm, you know, (laughs) kind of thing on Sunday. So it's a great work day. It's my favorite work day of the week, you know, Mm. so It's not a real restful day, you know, for the family. Um, But we're talking about something more than hours, you know, a literal 24-hour, you know, period of time or something like that, or even 12 hours. I think what we're talking about is pacing Mm. and balance, you know, within life. It's good. And, you know, we, we can see that from Scripture. We're called to be a people who have that rhythm, who have that pacing, you know, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, come away and rest a while. You know, God, from the very beginning, you know, that seventh day rested from all his work, obviously without any fatigue, but that's what he Mm -hmm. did. Um, He established that for Israel. You know, it's been a constant message of God, you know, don't get overly burdened with the work hmm. and the toil and the sweat. Like, life is hard enough by itself. Set aside time, set aside time to just be with me and to just rest and to do nothing, you know? Hmm. And so I think when we think about it just in our, our culture, so that's the super cultural right. thing, when right. we think about it in our culture, you know, I just think about, all the things that parents can commit themselves to and commit their children to and you can easily be- let your schedule become just totally overrun where you basically have a stressed out family and i'm i'm very compassionate about this because um you know it's hard yeah because a lot of times some of the demands that are placed upon our family schedules we have no control over it feels Mm -hmm. like you know if your work place you know demands a certain amount of output and hours if your you know kids school program demands a certain amount of output and hours you know if you're a dual income family you know these are things that sometimes are outside of our control but there are things that are sometimes within our control you know so like For instance, one way that people destroy their rest a lot of times is by overcommitting financially Mm. and wanting more and bigger. And, you know, sometimes it's so much better to have a little with rest than to have a lot with toil. Mm. And so, you know, sometimes we have to make hard decisions to kind of scale back. Mm. And then, you know, there are a lot of activities that we get involved in and that we put our children in that can also take away a lot of that rest and really begin to fatigue our family. So, you know, you have to watch out for that. You know, this year in our house, you know, our kids are, they're they're just growing and they have different interests and things that they like doing. And, um, you know, we've started implementing this like plus one thing in their lives where you can do one additional Activity extracurricular thing at a time right now, Mm -hmm. because all of them are in stuff and none of them can drive at this point. So they're not able to be responsible for themselves (laughs) to do it. We have to get them there, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, sometimes that leads to hard decisions. You know, like one Mm -hmm. of my daughters is having to step aside uh, from a sport that she loves for a whole year, a whole Mm -hmm. season so that she can pursue something else that she loves. But I feel that that is good life training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, hello, that's what dad does for her all the time. Yeah. You know, there are choices that I make, things that would be interesting, that I'd like to do, that I'd like to pursue, that I don't pursue anymore. You know, I mean, I'm almost 40 years old, but I, I believe I could have been a dope hip-hop artist <laughs> <laughs> if I had really stuck I will with second it. that yeah, one. Yeah, amen. But, you know, I had to you know that's a silly example of something that I just you know, <laughs> would say like no I'm I, I'm I've put that away right I've put that aside you know maybe when I'm 60 I'll pick it up again it's <laughs> the golden years man <laughs> so yeah rest i mean it's just so much is about choice you know the choices oh. that we that we make you know in our lives and i think a lot of times when we create that Buffer and we really protect that. Christina and I call it margin. You know, one of my favorite books is a a book called Margin by a Christian physician named Doctor Swanson. But um, when you know we talk about margin, what we're talking about is just like let's not fill every nook and cranny of our life and schedule with stuff because honestly. The most enjoyable, beautiful times of our lives usually come in the margin. Wow. You know, times yeah. where we're just chilling, being together as a family. You know, that wasn't on the schedule. It wasn't a thing that, you know, we, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes it is on the schedule, to be honest, but that's cool. You know, we yeah. just scheduling that margin has been helpful to us.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And the world will though. not cultivate this for you. I know, that's so true. That's the thing. You mm-hmm. know, there's
1: just, it's like there's always something to take every. Part of your life, you know?
0: Yeah, it takes some real conscious decision making and teamwork for that one, I assume. <laughs> Big time. Well, this is kind of shifting gears a little bit. It's almost going kind of back to grace and legalism within parenting. But the next super cultural thing that you mentioned is um, does my parenting style teach obedience? So you list out a couple things here. Can you kind of walk us through that a little bit, too? What does that look like for a parent? Yeah,
1: I tried to... The reason I put this one in here is because um, sometimes I think when we think about teaching our children obedience, we think about the Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, and the Colossians 3.20, where he repeats it, children, obey your parents and everything. We think about those two exhortations from Paul's epistles, but that's, uh, that's an extension of the supra cultural command of God that we're to be a submissive people. Mm, yeah. And, you know, there are, are always going to be entities, people, and a divine being, God, that we're supposed to, you know, submit to and to follow. You know, so there's always going to be people we're accountable to, people who have, you know, career authority over us, right. governmental authority mm-hmm. over us. Uh, there's a God who has authority over us in marriage. When, when we become married, if we, if we marry, we'll have, you know, the authority of our spouse operating in our lives. Uh, so, you know, Paul saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right is really kind of an extension of that. It feels like to me, mm-hmm. you know, where we as God's people, this is the way life is designed. And it's the best kind of life possible yeah, to amen. get in where you fit in and mm-hmm. to do what is being asked of you and to learn how to how to submit. So, you know, I like to joke around with my children, you know, and tell them, like, man, if you can't learn how to if you can't learn how to obey your parents, then you're not going to know how to obey. And then I'll usually craft <laughs> some kind of like slippery slope scenario <laughs> in which their life ends in prison. That's a good dad, in right there. Total sadness, <laughs> and then you know that I'm smiling and laughing the whole time that I'm that I'm saying it, you know. But th- that's that's an extreme example of the principle that we're trying to communicate, you know. Like, in order for your life to work successfully, you're going to have to learn how to be obedient. There's obviously so many people out there that cut corners, that you know, cheated in college, mm-hmm. and you know, pulled one over on their employer, you know, things like that, you're always going to find people like that. But in general, you know, people who are able to learn how to say, okay, this is what my college professor is asking of me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come under it. Yeah. Uh, This is what my employer is asking me of me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come under it. You know, people like that, they tend to get raises, promotions. I mean, life just works out, you know? So I think this is a major you know principle that children uh, that parents are wanting to communicate you know to our kids so you know some of the questions that i put in this in this section cuz in the in the article if if you haven't read it yet uh, what I did at the end of each one of these categories is I just try to ask not an exhaustive list of questions, but just a bunch of questions mm-hmm. that might kind of get the ball rolling for you as you're thinking about this as, as a parent or as a future parent. So some of them in this section, I, I said, uh, am I able to ask or use the word, am I able to use the word no with my children? Um, so I think that's impor- important. You know, can, can I do that? That's part of obedience. Do you notice a paralyzing fear come over you when you must say no? Do you frequently try to distract them, avoiding confrontation? Um, can I teach a version of obedience that is also freeing, a version where they know hmm. the boundaries yet feel yeah. free operating within them? Or do I teach obedience that is void of relationship? So, you know, just some things to kind of get us thinking about. And, you know, to be honest, I think this is probably this is a uh, this is a massive area. Yeah. To he's... be honest, you're just kind of looking out at different parents that I've seen and families that I've seen, um, you know, and I'm surrounded by a lot of really great people, and a are, lot of really yeah. great families, you know, here in our church setting. Um but as we look out at just kind of the broader community and culture, I think the inability to teach our children obedience in general is really hurting yeah. our society, our culture. I see it you know, anytime I'm around lots lots of different parents with mm-hmm. lots of different kids, you can see what's happening as these kids are not learning how to follow, how to obey. Um, it's just it, it handicaps everything. it just slows yeah. everything. So this is huge.
0: Huge. I know what you mean. It's a really big conversation, but thanks for kind of taking the time to give some just like context. And even those questions, I think, man, if we can just kind of take those ourselves and think those through a bit, that is some, that's a great area for us to just kind of consider and bring before the Lord (laughs) what that looks like in our parenting styles. Okay. Two more. Nate, this next one doesn't really even seem like a parenting thing. To me, but what you're talking about is prioritizing um, spousal oneness, oneness with your spouse. What's Absolutely. up with that? Why is that important for parenting?
1: <clears throat> yeah, again, you know, this is something that super cultural. It goes beyond all cultures, you know. So if you are married a lot of times something that happens after you get married is you have kids. Obviously not every time, but and obviously not every child is connected to right. two parents that are married, you know, together. So there's a lot of single parents out there and then remarriages, you know, things like that. But right. you know, when two people come together and they make that covenant with each other, a lot of times children flow from that mm-hmm. relationship. And that order of events is indicative of the way God feels about it. Well, yeah. He looks at your marriage and he says, this is first. This is primary. He says to Adam and Eve, he repeats all throughout the New Testament, and the two shall become one flesh. And when your kid is born, it's not three that are one flesh, or two children, four that are one flesh. That's not the way that it works. Mm-hmm. They're your flesh and blood. They're part of your family. But no one else is one flesh with you uh, as you are with your spouse. And, you know, a lot of trouble, I think, that comes in marriage comes when the two uh, cease to operate and behave like they're one flesh. They start acting like two individuals, single people with separate, you know, finances and interests and pursuits. They no longer open up their hearts to each other, sharing what's what's happening in each of their lives as they're living out day by day. So, you know, what ends up happening is uh, the marriage breaks down and that hurts the kids. Yeah. You know, so um, I tell my children and like a thought that I have, you know, about them is that one of the greatest gifts that I can give to them is a healthy marriage with their mother. Mm. That's what I could give to them because that will be life-giving for them. That will provide real safety for them, a feeling of security um, and a lack of worry and concern. So, you know, when I wave goodbye to them to go on a date with their mom, you know, it's like. Asta, you know, later, like I'm, I'm going to pour that. into her mm-hmm. and this is going to be a blessing for you. And I don't feel bad about it for a second, you know, cause you need this, you yeah. know, and sometimes when they're younger, you know, now that my kids are a little bit older, so you know, they're like pushing me out the door, but <laughs> you know, when you're, when they're younger, it's like a, a hard thing sometimes mm-hmm. for them, you know? But I just knew in my heart, like, man, being one with Christina Mm. is so much more important than this feeling right now in this moment. And ultimately, that I am tight with their mom and that I'm providing her, you know, a little bit of like memory that Mm. she is first a daughter of God and then, you know, relationally connected to me and then. After that flowed our children. To be reminded of that is just really helpful, you know, in a in a marriage. So uh, I think this is this is massive, you know.
0: Huge, yeah. Wow, that's a whole nother like real big thing too, which I'm sure you'll write sure. more about in the future. But um, as we're just kind of wrapping up this episode, we're going a little bit long. Let's um, let's just kind of wrap it up with this last super cultural uh, principle, which is prioritizing God's kingdom within your parenting style. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so we haven't read these to everybody, but for each one I wrote the supercultural principle. And for this one, I should read it. It says, Christians believe God's kingdom is coming, but is present today in the form of the church. Jesus shed his blood for the church, and he wants us to love his people like he does. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I read that because... this is like what we're confessing as Christians, you know, that Jesus shed his blood for his people and that he bought them. He loves them. He cares about them. And so he says from that vantage point, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto Mm -hmm. you. So we, in theory, believe that we're to be kingdom people, that we're to be uh, kingdom-minded and setting our minds on the things of God in that kind of way. It's very easy, though, for us as parents to create an environment uh, for our f- children where they might come away with the belief that that the the all-important community that they are a part of is their family hmm. and then maybe like their school or their extended family something like that and I think it's really important for us to with our actions communicate to our children that the kingdom of God, the body of christ is in a in the in a different kind of way than our family is important as our community that we have a church community that yeah, is also amen. has this huge weight and uh and influence in our lives so you know that takes i mean that's a big part of why the rest thing is right. you know an important principle because it's you can say you know that you're a, uh, you know, kingdom person, but it honestly, it takes time. It takes scheduling. It takes commitment. It takes energy. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's one thing when you're single to get hop in your, you know, civic and go (laughs) to your small group. And it's a totally different thing to hop in your odyssey with your family of five and go to your life group. Right. You know, it's like, it's just, it's it's a lot more work, a lot yeah. more energy, you know, that's expended. So it takes a real commitment to be a, a kingdom person. But, you know, as you do, what you're providing your children with is you're providing them with other people who are going to back up the lessons and the teaching that you're trying to give them, you know, in the home. You're putting good... Uh, influences into their lives. You're giving them opportunities to outlet their gifts and their abilities. I just happened to walk by the other day, this little uh, dry erase board in our children's church area where I saw one of the guys who teaches the three-year-old class. And then I saw the name of his helper and as the name of my second daughter. And she's there, you know, at that 11 o'clock service, you know, working and serving, you know, and and that's such a neat, like, opportunity for these kids yeah. to be able to have is learning how to give. And, you know, they don't always do it perfectly. But, you know, as they're learning these things over time, it's just so helpful to their yeah. faith.
0: Wow. Powerful. So that's six super cultural principles, truths for parenting in 34 minutes. We, we got through it.
1: You got through it. Dude, this is like such a, a big post, you know, and, and um, after I put it up online, one of the pastors here, he said, you know, hey, man, I, I think it might be a good idea for you to just release that one point at a time because hmm. it's just it's bigger. And I, I'm really thankful for you helping me with this podcast because this is part of my heart for all of you that are listening is... Um, you know, I realize some of the stuff that that I'm writing is not really like bloggy in the sense that it's, you know, 600 words and, you know, five points and easily scannable. So it's fun to be able to talk about it. Oh, and kind yeah. of Flesh it out a little bit more since it's a little more like an e-book almost. Yeah, it's so good. Time. So thanks, man.
0: Thanks for joining us today in this conversation about supercultural biblical parenting principles. For more about this conversation, go to nateholdridge.com 17 for the full article. And while you're at nateholdridge.com, please subscribe to Pastor Nate's weekly e-bulletin email. We pray that that really blesses you this week. Also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Please leave a review leave a rating. We really appreciate it. Share it with a friend. We appreciate that even more and also follow up with Nate and follow his ministry on Twitter at nholdridge and also at calvary.com for Nate's teachings. Until next time, God bless you guys. We'll see you soon.